Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and for grace and mercy and and all that you have done to provide for us a way to have eternal life. And Father, there's nothing more important than your word and how that it brings us to knowing you and that you use your word, your spirit, your son. You've used everything to to pave a way and to provide for us that way. And so, Father, as we break open the bread of life today, the most important thing for spiritual life that will be eternal, we pray, Father, that we will be challenged by these things, that we will know that you are speaking the truth to us in love. And, Father, may, may we accept it in that way. May we look at ourselves and may we be challenged by it. And, Father, we, we just thank you for grace mercy compassion in Jesus name amen I'm going to tell you if if you're if you're visiting today you've this is going to be a rough patch and if if you're here and this is your third or fourth time into our subject I'm going to be done today I'm telling you this is wearing me out I was talking with Ray earlier up here this has wore me out I, I told Tanya but evidently, it was here for a purpose and for this time, and that's why we're doing it. And uh, so I'm going to start off with something pleasant. This Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. This is a great day, and it says that we have not been consumed because of the mercy of our God and His compassion. His mercies are new every day to those who seek diligently after Him. And that gives me so much comfort that in 6,000 years, he's not run out of mercy. He's not run out of compassion. But he renews those things every day for us. And so that just brings us so much comfort and peace. And I pray that it brings us to where we just worship him and say, Thank you, Lord, for your compassion and mercies never failing to be upon us. And as we gather here together and drink in his word the thing that came to me during the study this week and the word that came to me is lord and lordship and how i've forgotten about that and i looked it up and you know the word lord is used 6764 times in the word of god that's a lot of times the lord did this the lord says that in the New Testament, it's over 600 times that it's used when it's identifying things. It's used over 100 times to say the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing is, is that we usually tag that along with, with Savior. The scriptures say the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Savior part's pretty cool, isn't it? The Savior part is great. But the lordship part, when we understand what that is, that's not so cool sometimes. Because when I looked up that word, what does that identifying word mean? It means somebody owns you. It means that whenever you are born again to that new life, what you said was goodbye to me and my life, and hello to the lordship of my Savior Jesus Christ who now owns me. 
And I am his. And I have been bought with a price. It said in Galatians. You are not your own. Do you not know that you have been bought with a price? And then he says over in the other scripture. He says it in uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I've, I've put that old guy away. But nevertheless I'm still alive. But this life that I now live in this flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So I am not my own. I have a master, a Lord. Someone who's, I am now in his kingdom and it's his rules. And that's what it means. And so then if you're with me, go to Second Peter chapter 2. And I promise we're going to move on after today. And I'll tell you at the end of today to bring you back next week. The next week we're going to talk about the end of the world. And what's going to happen and what's some of the things that you're going to look forward to to notice that those things are going to happen. So I'm going to, I'm going to move on next week into chapter 3. So we've got to finish this thing up. The real tragedy is, is as you turn there, verse 1 that we talked about a few weeks ago, how that there's going to be, there was false prophets in those days and false teachers in these days. And the tragedy is, is not only do they desire a different way and a different lordship, so they teach falsely to entice others to follow that as well and that's the tragedy because others follow what they say and put out there with us and then it says this it says in verse 9 the Lord says I'm very good at judging between those who follow me and who follow the lordship of Jesus Christ and those who refuse it and those who turn away from that and want to go a different way and to follow those folks who are not teaching the truth. Jesus, I think, captured it best when he said there is going to come that time when we stand before him and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not? And he's going to say, I never knew you because I knew who was sincere and who was not, who who just spoke it as lip service but didn't desire me and my lordship and want to walk with me. And that's the difference that we've been talking about between the spared and the spared not there in that section between verses 4 and 9. So now as we pick up in verse 9 and we begin to break some new ground here, we're going to get into here where it says that if... I knew how to separate them and I have those who are godly that I'm delivering but I know how to reserve those who were not into a place under punishment waiting for that final day to come. And I want to hone in on that word reserve there. That word is a military word that means to watch over, to guard and protect so that none escape. It's like when you got prisoners of war. It's like at Fort Knox we have the nation's gold supply. It's there and it's under watch. It's reserved. What's, what's the bank called? The Federal Reserve. It's reserved for that time. I don't want to be in reserve for that time. I want to be as we was talking back there today. I want to be Absent from the body, but face to face with the Lord. I don't want to be reserved and away from him in another day. So it's they're kept under guard. Who? Those, he said, who have falsely represented the truth, the word of God. 
those who have falsely taught it, represented it, lived it, and then those who follow it as well. And then we begin in verse 10. Verse 10 says, and here's where I've got to start being personal with you for a moment. I shared this with a couple folks today. Monday, we was sitting there and Sue said, what are you going to talk about this week? And I said, false teachers. Well, she was taking a drink of coffee and it about just came right out. And she said, didn't you do that last week? (laughs) I said, yeah. She said, the week before, I said, yeah, I think for three weeks. Aren't you about done with that? Don't you think that's a little bit too much? And I said, no. She said, why not? I said, because Peter ain't done. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit gave it to him, so evidently God ain't done with it. And I need to cover it, because we're still here. And that's why. And I want to be honest that this has worked on me all week. I've asked people to pray (laughs) for me this week and for us as we go through this because this stuff doesn't come out in churches anymore and it's not taught and we don't realize the brevity of the word of God and how God takes it you know we talk about false teachers they're not only in pulpits Anybody who disseminates information can be a teacher. As a parent, when my daughter was growing up, the Bible says I'm to train up a child in the way they should go. That's teaching, isn't it? I'm to be a teacher. There's teachers in schools and universities. The airwaves... You can watch the news and they're trying to tell you things about how you ought to live and what laws we're going to make. You watch any social media, there's things on that. You look at the newspaper and and magazines and written word. There's all kinds of people trying to give instructions to you on how to live, right? You've got to be able to separate truth from what's not truth. And it's very important and that's why... Peter gives here, the Holy Spirit moves him to a whole chapter on respecting the truth and not going astray from it. All of us in our life and how we live and what we say are teachers too. Let's take Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus has resurrected. He's getting ready to go to his Father. And he says this to him. He says, Go ye into all the world... And make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I always heard go ye meant go me, right? That go ye. Next verse. Teaching them. Uh Uh-oh. If go ye means go me, then teaching them means as I go, I make disciples, I teach them. And he says all things whatsoever I've commanded you so then the brevity of this because it's easy to preach about false teachers when you think you're teaching the truth and it's really about somebody else but then when the word comes back and says I'm talking to you too 
then it starts really getting heavy. And it weighs upon you. Go ye means go me. And I'm teaching in everything that I say and do. And when people come up and ask at work or my family and my friends. I have forgotten at times. And especially in times past. That I was under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And how much his word meant to him. And that I repented this week. Of not always. And who in my past. Did I not represent truth to. Because human nature. Is to what. When we're face to face. And it's our loved ones. It's our friends. It's our family. It's a co-worker. We often soften things. We kind of reshape it. So that it's palatable and friendly. Don't we. And we don't always say. That this is what it says. And so I repented. That if I had ever led anyone astray. By softening and not wanting to face up. I'm sorry. And Lord help me to be your person. Going forward. So then again. As we get ready to read the rest of this chapter together right now. I want you to know that these aren't my words. And these really aren't Peter's words. These are God's words. And this is what he says. Starting in verse 10. If you're there and you want to follow along with me. I hope you got your Bibles. I put it all right there. And I know it's kind of small. So if you don't got good eyes. It's going to be hard to see. But this is what the word of God says. And I want you to listen carefully. Because you just don't hear this these days. And especially, and he's, he's going on from verse 9 where he says, I know how to reserve those who are unjust and I know how to deliver those who are just. But he says, I know how to reserve them under that guard that we just talked about. Especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, are made to be caught and destroyed. They speak evil of things that they don't even understand. And they will utterly perish in their own corruption. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots, blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, they entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained to be covetous in practice and they are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following after the way of Balaam and the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These people who teach falsely, are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom are reserved 
the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak with their great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh and through lewdness the ones who have actually escaped from the life and live now in error again. While they promise them liberty through the words they say, they themselves are now slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, there's our word, Lord, they are again entangled in the things that they tried to escape from in the first place. And the latter end is worse than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments, the holy word delivered to them. But it has happened according to the true proverb that a dog returns to its own vomit and the sow who has been washed having returned to the mud of the mire and wallowing in it. Wow. <laughs> Is that not some heavy words? And it's all to motivate in two ways. These words are to motivate those of us who are Christians not to return to muck and mire and not to return to the vomit of the world and the flesh. It's there to motivate that Look at what lies in store. The latter end is worse than the first. It would have been better to have not known a way of righteousness than to turn and go back to the old stuff. So it's there to motivate. But it motivates unbelievers to realize that you need to be motivated to be a believer and trust in that Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and get yourself away from these things to not be reserved unto punishment. So these words are written as great motivators but also of a great truth because it speaks about the word of God from top in verse 1 to the bottom in verse 22 and it says there they turned from the holy commandments delivered to them. The word of God, folks, is the most important thing in this life. And he, he goes on, let's, let's start dissecting. I'm only going to cover three verses. I'm going to save the rest of that. The, the wells without water, the clouds with the tempest, Balaam, the son of Beor. I'm, I'm going to save those things for another time. But I'm going to, I want to quickly go through, though, verse 10 through about 13 with you. And tell you what these words mean. And see the, these things explain the heart and the attitude of those who turn away. Or those who do not teach truth. And it says this, especially. He begins with especially. And that's right after this, those who are reserved. He begins with especially those who walk. Those whose way of life. Those whose thought process is lived not after the will of God, but after the flesh. After that thing that we're born with. That cravings and desires upon the inside. 
Because it says then we fall into the lust of uncleanness. Epithumia. I want to tell you about that. Epi means focused upon. And thumia means passionate desires. So in other words. Instead of focusing upon the holy commandments that's given to us. We begin our minds to focus upon our own desires. And that's what starts to lead us down a different path. We begin to either ignore it or not not believe it's all true. And instead of walking that path the way that it says, we begin to walk after some of our own thoughts and after our own passions and after our own way. And pretty soon we're on the different path that's leading to the wrong road. And he says, don't do that. That's why it says, make every thought. Take it into captivity for Christ because what is inside of you, the heart is deceptively wicked and who can trust it? It will lead you because it's of flesh. Don't follow and focus upon your passionate desires because it defiles you. It makes you unclean. That word defile comes from also closely related to defy. When when we defy the word, we become defiled, is what it's saying here. And then it says, verse 10 continues with this, presumptuous. We've got a noble vocabulary. Because I could say, man, I'm hungry. Give me that bow of presumptuous over there. You know? No, what does presumptuous mean? Listen, listen to the dictionary. Daring. Bold. Those who dare to foolishly ignore what you should make you afraid. But you blatantly and boldly go ahead and do the opposite. You do what shouldn't be making you afraid. That's the definition for daring. That's the word for presumptuous. These people who teach but also get led astray and focused upon being self-willed don't realize that what you are doing is being bold and daring and you're no longer becoming afraid of what should keep you on the right path and you're allowing yourself by your own thoughts to take you away and be daring and bold to follow my own ways and then it says they don't that leads you to despising authority the lordship of Christ, the authority that's over. Pretty soon it's like, isn't this my life? Shouldn't I, I'm an adult, shouldn't I be able to, shouldn't God accept these things in my life? No, he says, you begin to despise government as the way it's translated another one. In other words, we are in a kingdom of God. He has a government around that, and we begin then to despise that authority of that government. It says they are self-willed. Self-gratifying. And then he puts this out here. And this is one I'm going to hone on here for a minute. He says they don't. They're not afraid. They're so daring that they're not even afraid to speak evil. Of dignitaries. Well I had to uncover that one. What's that mean? It's the word for doxa, dox. Doxology. I don't know if, if you've grown up in places where they've sung doxology, but it's the word means glory. It means the glorious ones and the glorious things. The word of God is glorious. God is glorious. His, 
heavenly creatures and that realm is glorious. And when you become self-willed, you are no longer representing and looking at the glorious ones, but you are blaspheming them. You are saying it don't that doesn't mean anything. And it says you despise that, you 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 talk evil. That's the word for slander. You begin to slander and talk evil of dignitaries. Now, here's the kicker, verse eleven. When I become that way and think lightly of that and I ignore it and I think it's okay to tell others that as well. What he's saying here is angels who are greater in might and power do not dare. And that's why that word's used there because you are so daring to go against angels who are so much greater in might and power than you do not dare now, now get this, they don't dare to do that to other dignitaries, let alone to God and His Word. And Jude is parallel. He's writing to his flock and moved by the Spirit to write the same thing that Peter is to his flock. And when we go to, to Jude, it's only one chapter. But when you go to Jude, he's writing the same thing just to a different group of people. And it's the same exact message. And he's going to explain a little bit. Peter only gives the idea of speaking against dignitaries. Jude's going to give you an example of it. So in Jude verse 6, starting there, it says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode. He's reserved, that word, in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment. And Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner that had given themselves over to the sexual immorality after strange flesh set forth as an example of eternal vengeance of fire. Likewise, these dreamers, and that's the word for the false teachers, these dreamers, they, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, they speak evil of dignitaries, glories. Here's, here's the example. Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, he dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. He didn't slander him with a reviling. He didn't talk back. He didn't speak unwisely. But what he said was, the Lord rebuke you and left it at that. But these speak evil of things that they don't know anything about. And they're like brute beasts in that they corrupt themselves and think naturally. Woe to them. Deuteronomy 34. Moses has spent 40 years. He's actually spent three forties. He spent 40 years in Egypt growing up in Pharaoh's palace. He killed a man. The Jews said, are you going to kill me too the next day when he goes out there? He runs. He goes out into Midian for 40 years and finds himself there in the desert. Watching over goats and sheep for another man. A burning bush. The Lord says, you're going back to Egypt. You're going to set my people free. You're going to be my person. So now after 80 years, he goes back and stands before Pharaoh. And he performs those things and the plagues came. And the Lord then... 
through Moses, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea into the wilderness. And he spends another 40 years guiding them and teaching them and writing those first five books of the law and seeing God on the mountain. He strikes a rock again instead of speaking to it. And he says, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 34 He's already told him again the law and preached to him and left him with the word of God and what God expects. He turns around and he walks up the mountain. He goes up on Mount Nebo up to the top of Mount Pisgah. And it says there in chapter 34 that the Lord shows him all the area of the promised land. From Dan and Naphtali all the way over to the sea. Down to Zoar, that's the city that Lot wanted to go to when they drug him out of Sodom. He said, this is all the land that I'm going to give to your descendants that I've promised you that I would. I'm, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to let you cross over. And then it says in Deuteronomy 34 that after the Lord revealed all that to him and showed it to him of what they were going to inherit, but he didn't get to, it says... That the Lord, that Moses died before the Lord. And the Lord himself buried the body of Moses. And the word of God says to this day, nobody knows where that was. Doesn't say anything else until you get to the book of Jude. And in the book of Jude, we find out Jude's the Lord's brother. That they came to Christ after his death. He didn't while he was alive. But evidently the Lord told him some things after his resurrection and when he came to him. And now the Holy Spirit is moving him to write. And he says, Moses went up on that mountain and he died. And the Lord himself buried him and no one knows who or where it was. But the devil contended for that body of Moses. We're not told why. I can speculate. He murdered a man. He struck the rock. You didn't see fit for him to cross over into a promised land. He should belong to me. And the devil began lying and making accusations like he does before us. Like it says he does in the book of Job. That he gathers himself together with a card file. And he says, this is what happened. And I deserve the body of Moses, and I want it. And why does God take it and hide it away from me? Michael, the archangel of God, the supreme leader underneath Jesus Christ of the army of angels of the host of heaven, who is guarding that area where God is taken to go and bury Moses, stands before him and says, The Lord rebuke you. He could have said, you are Satan, you are... He could have said all kinds of slanderous things to defame the character and who he was because he would have deserved it because he's done those things. But you know what? It says, angels who are greater in power and might don't even slander or bring a railing accusation against glorious ones like the devil. Let me give you an example. Michael, 
supreme being won't even do that against the devil. And you know what? What the message is here for us? If they don't dare do that against the devil. How do you dare take the word of God and twist it? That's his glory. Psalm 138 says, You have magnified your word above your name, your character, and who you are. It is glorious. Michael won't even defame a character of Satan. And yet you, O man, will call the word of God old-fashioned. You'll say it doesn't apply. I ought to be able to do that. What I want to do and God be happy that I just believe in Him. He says, angels don't even dare say something like that to Satan. And you who are less in power and might and rank would say that to God about His Word that is above his even character and name that he regards it as? Are you that daring, bold and brazen and self-willed? That's what that whole section there is saying and why the dignitaries, the glories is brought out and why we go to Jude to understand it. The Lord rebuke you. He dared not bring Slanderous accusations. So verse 12 then. Back to Second Peter in our text. Verse 12 then after he says that you. You have the brazen. To do that. Verse 12 says this is God's response. These they've spoke evil. Of God's commands. They are like natural brute beasts. Jude there says. Naturally, they, they teach what they know naturally from within, from their own thoughts and what they, they believe and what they like. They, that's naturally what they put out and speak, and they speak evil of the Word of God that they don't even really realize what they are doing and how deep this is. Angels don't even dare do that. But like irrational animals... Without thought, you go ahead and do it anyway. And he says, and this is the word of God speaking. They are those who would dare do this as natural brute beasts are made for one thing. I'll let you read it up there. What's it say? Captured, caught, destroyed. That's what. The Lord thinks about those who would be brazen enough to speak evil of his word and ignore it. And when that sunk in to me this week, <laughs> I repented. Because many is the time that I've not realized the depth that we're talking about here. And it humbled me. Verse 13. 
of our text. They perish in corruption. They receive their wages, their spots, their blemishes. And then it says, they carouse in their own deceptions, their own changing of the word of God while they feast with you. You know what that's? One, some of the versions you may have it in your Bible says love feasts at your love feast. You know what that is? The Lord's Supper that we're getting ready to take here in a minute. He not only goes on to say how brazen we are to do that to the glory of God and his character. But there are folks who will come and sit at his table with all these deceptions going on. That's why it tells us in 1 Corinthians to judge ourselves before we partake. Wow. You dare to belittle my word and my character, yet eat of my table that represents the grace that I'm showing to you. I'm going to stop here. (laughs) Next week. I I hope you realize the brevity and the depth of, of this. But next week, we're going to talk about the end of the world. How that it says the heavens are going to, to blast with a great noise. The earth 